Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. Welcome again to Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. My name is Lorraine Buckley and joined in studio this morning by John and Anne Keeley and of course our special guest Bishop Brendan Leahy. Welcome again to the programme Bishop. Thanks Lorraine, it's good to be here as I say. We were just chatting there during the break. You're actually Bishop of Limerick for two and a half years now. How's it been going for you? Yeah, well, You know, we were just saying there, it's two and a half years that have really flown in and I have to say that's the first impression I have, that time has flown. And uh, well, it has been a wonderful two and a half years for me personally, mm-hmm. in the sense I, I suppose I didn't know what to expect in one sense, even though I, I've known many bishops and I suppose I kind of knew what was involved a little bit. But a word that I've used and I'm surprised at myself using it is that I'm enjoying it. Good. That is good. for me wonderful. I, I'm, I feel I'm surrounded by wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Earlier today, somebody said to me that, you know, somebody has recommended that it's a good practice that you should do a diary of gratitude. Name every day three things that you're grateful for. <laughs> well, I, I certainly could do that every evening. I feel very, very grateful for the wonderful welcome I've got in Limerick, wonderful people that I've met in Limerick, mm-hmm. great team of priests that we have here in Limerick, mm-hmm. A great uh, team of workers who work with me inside the offices every day and the pastoral centre and our various initiatives. Great, great people. Mm. And I have that tremendous sense of gratitude for all of that. And now, especially with the Synod, I'm meeting great delegates and I'm I'm just so grateful for all of that, really. Mm. Just as you mentioned the Synod, it's incredible the number of people that are involved in the Synod in one way or another, whether they're delegates or whether they're coming in as speakers or training people or whatever it might be. It's that's right. And I, I think that's maybe a really positive feature of the Synod, that it's actually managing to engage a lot of people. Mm. We had these 5,000 people almost who kind of got involved in the listening process that we had before um, the summer there with the questionnaires, etc. But beyond that now, these days we're having talks for architectures, for Mm-hmm. people in business, people in the world of the social marginalisation. And there's a lot going on at the moment. It's very, very exciting. Mm. And the outreach is going, um, it's going beyond what you would expect kind of churchy talk to be about. Yeah. It's kind of looking at, well, the church in terms of its broader sense, which is really, really lovely yeah, to I see. think that's really, really important because I wouldn't like to see it to just be about ourselves and our own little issues, which are maybe ma- important. But we have always to remember the church is there for people and it mm-hmm. wants to serve society. And we've got to keep that perspective ahead of us all the time. Absolutely. And I love Pope Francis's image of going out to the margins like that. We can't be a church that just sits inside and waits for people to come to us. We have to keep going out to people. That's correct. And and I, I've been really delighted yesterday. We had Harry Burns from Scotland over talking about the whole world of healthcare and mm. and also, you know, the issues of poverty and the issues of uh, social marginalisation. And it, it had a great packed hall inside there, Lime Street, the Lime Theatre inside in Mary Eye. We did two sessions and loads and loads of people there. Mm. And if people couldn't get into it, it'll be up on the Synod website very shortly, synod2016.com. The Synod website, Synod2016, has a lot of um, the talks and texts Mm. and videos, especially videos. You can look at them all and it's wonderful. Really great stuff up there as well. Really quality um, input. Were you surprised by the six themes that were chosen by the delegates on the 3rd of October? Like we have community and sense of belonging, faith formation, pastoral care of the family, new models of leadership, liturgy in life and young people. Well, I wasn't so much surprised, but I was very pleased at the process. Mm. Um, I think that was a very special day for us. We were in the Strand Hotel, 300, 400, whatever it is, people there. 
And in a wonderful, reflective, prayerful atmosphere, we decided out of the 12 themes that had come out from the questionnaires and the Mm. listening before Mm. the summer, what are the six we should focus on for the Synod? Mm. And I thought it was done really well. There was a wonderful atmosphere at it. Mm -hmm. And I think those six, of course, they're the six specific themes, but I think they'll pick up a lot of the other themes as well Mm. in one way or another. Absolutely. So I I was very pleased. I thought, yeah, I thought they were very good themes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very happy with them. And so what's the next step between here and the Senate? Well, there's two or three steps. First of all, uh, the delegates have to inform themselves about, well, what are the issues facing Limerick as a society, first Mm -hmm. and foremost. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we need to find out what is the teaching of the church and tradition about each of these themes Mm -hmm. so that we're informed in making Mm -hmm. our decisions. Then we need to actually work out what are proposals that we'd like to bring to the Senate. Mm -hmm. That'll be very important. So that's the immediate task. But I think there's a wider task that I feel very uh, strongly about, and that is that the whole diocese should feel part of the Synod also at this stage. Mm. They should do so certainly by their prayers. And we had Synod Sunday a few weeks ago, and that was wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the prayers of everybody in the diocese is really important. Secondly, of initiative, which we might maybe talk about later, which is the reading of the Acts of the Apostles in groups. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm hoping that will work well. But thirdly, that we'd all use it as a chance to deepen our faith. Mm. And... As you just mentioned it, we'll have a look at that. It's a wonderful commentary on Acts of the Apostles, Who Leads the Church, um, a book that you brought out, um, published by Veritas. Why did you come up with the idea for the book or how did that idea arise? Yes, well, a few reasons. One is when I wrote the first pastor letter about the Synod, Mm -hmm. beginning again, mission, I did say there, I promised that I'd get out something on scripture because what I said in that letter was all renewal in the life of the church begins with a rediscovery of the word of God. So I really am committed to that. Uh, I thought maybe I might do Luke's gospel, take a gospel. Mm. But as I reflected more on it, I remember that, uh, well, the early story of the church is told in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we're kind of reading, living out now a moment of our story Mm -hmm. here in Limerick Diocese. So why not look again at the early story of the Christians? So I thought the Acts of the Apostles is a good place to start. Luke is the writer of the Acts of the Apostles. He's very clever. He's telling us what seems to be a straightforward story, giving you the facts and figures. But in fact, he's doing much more than that. He's helping you actually get an insight into what was going on beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And it's very well, he does it very well. I mean, just one example. If you read the Acts of the Apostles, you see right throughout it, there's difficulty after difficulty for the early church. But Luke is doing that very cleverly. He's saying every time there was a difficulty, something new opened up for the church. Mm -hmm. For instance, the very first martyr, which we celebrate the day after Christmas, St. Stephen, seemed like a disaster, I'm sure, for the early church. One of their great leaders was killed. Worse, all the apostles disappeared from Jerusalem. They fled. They had to. The persecution was going, was going on. So it seemed like a disaster. But that was precisely when Christianity spread all over the Holy Land and then beyond the Holy Land to other countries. So what Luke wants to bring out is, yes, there are obstacles, but the minute there's an obstacle, you'll find some new door opens up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's great to read about. That's why it's good to read the Acts of the Apostles. And that's very, very appropriate to what we're going through at the moment. You know, vocations are down, clergy are getting that little bit older, even our own um, population, the congregation is getting that little bit older too. And there is that sense of, well, where do we go now? What What's our next step? What do we do? And even the title, Who Leads the Church? And the subtitle, Noticing the Holy Spirit at Work. It's really powerful 
we're saying that, yes, the Holy Spirit is still leading us. He didn't stop leading us 2,000 exactly. years ago. I think that's really important. Absolutely. And the way the book is structured, it's structured into um, lovely chapters, and but you have the text of the scripture and then you have a commentary on it. Uh, right, I've chosen certain texts. In other words, it's not right. every little bit of the Acts of the Apostles, so just a certain number of the texts because mm-hmm. maybe people wouldn't have time to read the whole thing. Sure. And then the commentary really kind of breaks it open for people because, you know, if you're reading something, especially scripture, it can, it can be difficult sometimes mm-hmm. to kind of get a sense of what was going on at the time and that. Um, so it's a really very readable book. It's not a huge tome. Yeah. So it's accessible for everybody. I'm glad you're saying that. That's good to hear. You know, yeah. it's, it's a really, 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 and I highly recommend it. Um, it'll be rolled out in the next two weeks, I believe, the first um, chapter we're recommending that people will look at. Do you do it on your own? Do you read it on your own or do you read it in a group? Or Yeah, well, I mean, basically now this is the book. It's not very, very long. But what mm-hmm. I'd hope is either an individual would get it and read it themselves, but not just read it, like flick through it. Take your time reading it, reflect on it, see what words strike you, remain with that, do a little bit of meditation on it. That's one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Another way would be for groups to come together in a parish or whatever and just take the text And, you know, I suggest in the introduction how they might do that. Read the text together, read the commentary together, and then just simply say, what words struck you? Share those words. And if you had any particular experience of life that matched that gospel or the gospel, you know, came alive for you in a particular way that you'd like to share, then it's an opportunity to do so in the group. So Mm. I'm recommending that. Um, We're going to try and distribute it free to many people, especially we're hoping to fifth years in second level schools as well, because I'd like the young people especially Mm. to have this um, experience of of reading the Acts of the Apostles. And I I think especially for fifth years, it's wonderful. They're at that time in their life where they're kind of making decisions about the leaving cert and about the you know, the mm. subjects that they're studying and they're trying to see where they're going in their life. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great moment for them to go, well, how did the church discern which way to go? Yes, And, and how can I yes, discern which way to go? Uh, Acts the Apostles is all about, really. Mm. How do you make decisions? Mm. How does the Holy Spirit work? Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping to look at it as a diocese, um, kind of every two weeks we'll look at another chapter of it, which means that we're kind of journeying together as a diocese towards the Senate. Um, there's 13 chapters, we'll be doing 11 chapters beforehand and there's two chapters after the Senate, which is wonderful as well. Um, I've also prepared a little one minute video clip oh, great. on each chapter, so that'll be put up on our website or on the Synod website as well every two weeks. That's ideal. That's wonderful because people will tune into that that might necessarily read the text, although you would hope they would do both. No, I think so. It'll be short, a short <coughs> little summary. And as well as that, we're going to do kind of an animated clip mm. that maybe be more suited for young people, but we're all young at heart. Yeah, so definitely. we'll enjoy it as well. So a little, you know, a little animated clip that will introduce the whole Acts of the Apostles. We hope to do that as well and put that up on, on the website. And that is great. And especially, as John said at the start of the programme, like our listeners might be housebound, you know, they might be on their own. Um, and this is a real lovely way for them to journey with us uh, towards the Synod and beyond. Lovely, yeah. And even if they can't maybe have read, have the energy to read, mm-hmm. they can always listen to, somebody could play the clip for them on the website. Mm. Ideal. So thank you very much for producing this, especially as it's free. It's a wonderful gift to the diocese. Um, we've just finished one Synod 
the Synod on the Family in Rome and there was kind of a lot of um, different things that were coming out that said there's a lot of infighting in the church. One group of people would want one thing and the other would. Uh, what do you think? What, were, what are your perspectives yeah, on the Synod, Synod in on the Rome. Family? I think the Synod in Rome was a wonderful event. In fact, if I can just refer back again to the Acts of the Apostles, if there's one thing you see, you can see there was always tensions and difficulties. Mm. There always is. Life is full of tensions and difficulties, so that shouldn't shock anybody. Mm. The fact is that those bishops who were at the Synod will say themselves they were changed over those three weeks. Mm. Perhaps they went in with a particular view, a particular perspective, maybe a little bit dug in. They were going to defend their point of view, but realized, no, we've got to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big thing Pope Francis is trying to remind us all, that the church is a community and we're a community that tries to shape our lives according to Jesus's teachings. Jesus himself is risen. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And for that to happen, however, we've really got to provide the space for him to be active. And we provide the space for him to be active by the way we listen to one another, by the way we're honest with one another. Of course, that's true. Mm. We have to tell each other the truth as we see it, to share what we, pers- what we believe. And I think the Synod in Rome turned out to be that kind of experience. They learned more about how to do that. Mm-hmm. So yes, there were, there were difficulties, I'm sure. But Pope Francis, for me, is trying to say to the whole church, look, we've got to work out together how we go forward according to God's plan, not mm-hmm. to our plan. Mm-hmm. And I suppose those of us who were present on the 3rd of October here in Limerick had um, a kind of a mini experience of that as well, from the point of view that we were um, discerning. The 3rd of October being the, the... When the delegates decided on the six themes that Jesse Rogers and Martin Kennedy, who led the, the morning part of it, said to us effectively, you kind of have to leave your egos at the door and, you know, listen to each other in hospitality and in generosity and listen to the still quiet voice of the spirit. And I'm sure that that mm. was going on in Rome as well. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And, and to recognise that, um, look, you know, at times perhaps we've got the message out that uh, isn't always the full message. Mm. And sometimes people have felt that they have been excluded from the church in a way they didn't need to feel that. That was perhaps our fault. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that we water down doctrine or we change no, the church's not. teaching. Absolutely. We don't do that. Mm. But perhaps we have to get to make sure the full message is getting out there. And the mm-hmm. full message is, number one, God loves you. God is merciful. God wants you to be part of the church. God wants you to be <clears throat> part of the family of God. You're, you're a member of the family, so don't feel excluded. That's the first message that has to go out to everybody, no matter what situation they're in. Then after that, OK, we, we, yes, we have a teaching and yes, we have to kind of clarify things. But that's not the first thing. Mm, absolutely. And uh, I'm not a parent myself, but I, I can imagine if I had a child that there is absolutely nothing that that child could do that would make me turn away from them. Mm. And how much more is God our father? Lovely. Absolutely. That, that's, I think that's it. That's the primary statement that we have to get out all the time, every time. And that's what I think Pope Francis keeps saying to us. Mercy is the order of the day. Mm-hmm. And the church is to be, uh, the, as he puts it, the, the, the field hospital in the middle of a war. People should feel it's a place for healing. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy, which uh, kicks off on the 8th of December of this year and runs right until the Feast of Christ the King next year. Why do you think Pope Francis chose this as our next themed year? Well, I think there's something amazing about the fact that Pope Francis is also emphasising mercy. It's something extraordinary. Pope John XXIII emphasised mercy. Mm-hmm. Pope Paul. Uh, John Paul II, influenced by Faustina, St. Faustina, influ- uh, uh, emphasised mercy. Pope Benedict, his very first 
pastoral letter was on God is love, mm-hmm. mercy. Absolutely. And here we come another pope on mercy. So really, it's as if God wants to say loud and clear mm-hmm. that, you know, discover God is merciful. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is the key thing. And Pope Francis again and again comes back to it. Rather than us being, as it were, in the shadow of a judgment mm-hmm. by God, we're actually in the embrace of a loving, merciful father. And that's the first basic point that all the time we've got to go back, come back to. Every time we feel failure, every time we feel disappointment, every, fi- every time we feel uh, we're not <laughs> living up to scratch. Let's go back to basic. And the basic point is no matter what situation I'm in, I am loved immensely by God. God loves me immensely in his mercy. And I've been very struck by the fact somebody said recently that mercy and love, of course, are intimately linked. Mm. And that mercy is love's second name. And that mercy, in fact, is, in a way, the form of love that fills in the gaps, the gaps perhaps that might be in another person or the gaps in yourself. Mercy, as it were, looks over those, fills in those gaps for you. And I think that's what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that's why Pope Francis wants to get that out, that message out. And it's so important for us to live that mercy as well, as you you just mentioned, like seeing the gaps in other people. We're all imperfect and we'll all unfortunately hurt each other and and make mistakes and fall down in in certain things. But to live that mercy means to go back again and again and again to the person and love them. Yes, again and again. And I remember several years ago, I was always struck by this. Uh, Cara Lubick and her companions who established the Focolari movement during the Second World War, they tried to take the new commandment, love one another as their commandment to be lived. But they said very quickly, of course, they, were, they immediately recognized the limits in each other and it wasn't always so easy. So they decided one day to make what they called a pact of mercy. And that is that every evening before they'd go to bed, they would make the promise to one another that they would hand over to God's mercy the day and anything that had gone wrong or anything in their relationships that maybe weren't working out and to start the following day with that pact of mercy seeing each other with new eyes as if for the first time and I think that pact of mercy is something wonderful something I try to do every evening because it's the only thing that gives us the the ability to start again and continue working and continue loving that is absolutely beautiful. And that's something that we could all do. Like, you know, I, I know the church has often recommended that we do a little examination of conscience before we go to bed. But the pact of mercy would really um, add to that so much. That's because right. you're handing your whole day over to God and saying, look, I can't do this. <laughs> you, you deal with that for me. Yes. And any limits I've seen or defects in the other mm. person, they're covered by God's mercy. I can see that person with new eyes now again. That is beautiful. Wonderful. And then get up the following day to do... You know, this is another thing Pope Francis said, corporal works of mercy. It's a word we used to use years ago. We don't maybe use in recent years, but it's not it's not a bad word. Why not use it? Mm. Bodily, concrete, practical works of mercy. Mm-hmm. Feeding the sick, you know, visiting the, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, feeding the hungry. Um, they're, they're corporal works of mercy. And there's loads of corporal works of mercy we can do all day long. Definitely. I was reading Novo Millennio Inuente again because it came up in the Irish Adult Catechism course that we're doing. And even in the year 2000, um, St. John Paul now was saying there's no reason for anybody to be cold or hungry or homeless or whatever. And that love needs a concrete action. Lovely. And that, that we measure our faithfulness, our fidelity to Christ as much by our charity as we do by our orthodoxy. In other words, you know, all the doctrine in the world, which is wonderful and good, that 
we're not being faithful to Christ if we're not loving others and not being there for others as well. Lovely. Yeah. I mean, famously, in the, what we have from John of the Cross is at the end of our lives, we'll be judged on love. Love is the great thing. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing in the diocese for the Year of Mercy? Have you any ideas? Yes, well, we're, we're hoping to do many different things. We're hoping, for instance, that we will have at least one, if not more, holy doors. Yeah, we'll oh, great. completely decide on that, which will be kind of doors people can go on pilgrimage to as part of the Year for Mercy. We'll have the 24 Hours for the Lord, which we've had in previous years. That'll be in March in the Augustinians. And that'll be a, a full 24-hour possibility of confession and prayer. And uh, that'll be a lovely moment. We're hoping to go on a pilgrimage to Rome as oh, part wow. of our Year of Mercy. And then we will have various, you know, initiatives at the local level mm-hmm. uh, which will be rolled out throughout the year. Above all, it's a chance for us to focus on the corporate works of mercy, go to confession, hand over anything that's warning us or burdening us to God. And um, we're hoping some other initiatives as well, like, for instance, we're hoping to do an initiative that is kind of um, based on asking for God's mercy also as a diocese. Mm. And as we go towards the synod, perhaps having an exhibition or something that might move around the diocese on this theme. That sounds wonderful, because every time we gather as a community, we take that moment to say, Lord, for the times I have kind of, as you said, falling, fallen short of the mark ever so slightly, whatever it might be, we're sorry. So it's beautiful to think that as a diocese, we're doing that as well before we come to the Synod. That's right. It'll be very important. Of course, I should remember that this coming year we have the World Youth Day mm. in Krakow in Poland. And thankfully, I'm very grateful we have a group of 50 young people going to Krakow in Poland as part of the World Youth Day. And that's that's wonderful. Our youth masses, our monthly youth, youth masses will continue in St. Joseph's Church. That's uh, the last Saturday of every month. That's always a lovely event. I try to go to it myself when I can. Mm. And it's, it's always wonderful. And of course, many youth in- initiatives we're doing in Lourdes and in the Brew and Kerry and the Anish program. There's a lot of great things There's going on and I hope the young people things. will feel this year of mercy is very much theirs as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bishop Brendan. We have to take a short break, John, do we? That's right. Thank you so much, Bishop, really, that, and Lorraine. That was that was lovely. Um, just one little comment there. Maybe at some stage during the year and our program, maybe we can take a little bit of a reflection oh, on. absolutely. Yep. On the book. Definitely. So I think with that, I think there's one piece of music we can play. And this is really for the bishop and for all those people who do so much work in the diocese. We're going to ask Jesus to send his spirit. So this is from the Emmanuel community. Let's do this.
Sacred Space on West Limerick 102.